Okay, to Delmy Newmarket, the bottom yard of Phantom House Stables with mm. uh, Dylan Cunha. Um, Dylan, I've been doing my trainer, a horse race trainer, I should say, for people that don't know, but I'm sure most do. Um, I'm doing my research on you. I was expecting to see you wear a cape. You're a superman, aren't you? <laughs> Not at all. I just like to keep myself busy. <laughs> no, the people, the people might wonder why I said that. So we'll just go through the list of your, uh, your CV so far. Yeah. So you were one of the youngest trainers in South Africa to train a Group 1 winner. Mm. You're a qualified airline pilot and you run, uh, you rode three winners as a jockey and you, were, and you run ultra-marathons. Mm. You might as well tell us first of all what ultra-marathons are. Sounds, uh... <laughs> Basically, ultra-marathons is my hobby. Um, it's a lot easier than a normal marathon, even though it's longer. Um, it's a lot slower. So I've, I run, they're actually mega ultra-marathons where... The, the one is that I've done four times is a Comrades Marathon. So it starts in Peter Maritzburg or Durban each year, it alternates. You run through the Valley of a Thousand Hills. It's about a hundred, it's about 90 kilometers. Um, and through the Valley of a Thousand Hills, like I said, you start in the morning, if it's in Peter Maritzburg, it could be minus four, could get up to 25 degrees in the day and finish in the evening at 10 degrees. It takes about 11 hours to do. And, and that then, is continuous running? continuous running here and then I did the first year I was here I did the London to Brighton which is 100 kilometers and that started about 7.30 in the morning and I think I finished at 8.30 that night it was a long day um, off-road all the way from oh, London to Brighton yeah so th let's start from your beginning um, what's your background and how did you become such a successful trainer at such an early age um, the background is my father bred racehorses when I was young. He had a small stud farm. Um, on the small stud farm, he bred a derby winner. Um, he had another group one filly. I can't remember her name now. And so the, it was there, the interest. I used to go racing with him. Um, I had one of his old friends, his friend's retired racehorse, which I started to learn to ride on. And then obviously grew up in the racing, going to races, going to the training track in the morning. And then um, when I left school, I told him I want to become a racehorse trainer. And he said, well, if you want to do that, you've got to learn from the bottom. So I came to Newmarket and worked for um, Robert Armstrong, which was great. Um, it was sort of like a yard like William Jarvis is now, where it wasn't big in size. A lot of the lads were, were with him for a long time, very experienced lads. So I got to learn from them. <clears throat> in fact, one of the lads, Willie McEwen, who taught me to ride work there, to ride proper work in the morning with racehorses. He's actually riding for me here now, so it's a full circle. And then from there I went a short break back in South Africa and then to Barry Hills. Um, Barry Hills at the time had Distan Music, who was, he was the Dewhurst winner, Guinea's favorite. We had Rainbow High at the time, who was a good, I think he won the Chester Cup or Chester Vars or something. Uh, he had a really big string of horses. And then I went back to South Africa worked for Justin Snaith, who was the champion trainer. He is the champion trainer now. Um, great trainer, learned a lot there, and then went off on my own. But then I think I'd worked for some really good trainers. I'd experienced being with horses my whole life, and it was, it's not easy, you need to be lucky, but we bought correctly, didn't have a big budget. The first horse my dad bought with his breeding background was a filly called Coconut Grove who won nine races in a listed race. The next season we had bought Strategic News, he became a group one winner in a stallion. So that's how, that's what you need. I need that to happen here. Yeah, yeah. Well, why, why did it 
did you come to the UK originally to, to, to you know cut your teeth? Why, why, it's a big industry in uh, South Africa as well. Uh, you're talking about when I was a kid? Yeah. Um, just purely because my dad said you need to go and start from the bottom. I was just a stable lad here, mucked out boxes. Um, in South Africa, they, was, they wouldn't really have done that because they don't have a, such a sh uh, shortage of staff like there is here. So I got to, and he said, go and learn from the best in the world. So it was a great experience. I, I loved every minute of it. Um, as a young lad, I could think of nothing better than riding work down the Elba Hatchery. It was like, I look at it now and I think, I don't know what was so exciting. But back then, I, I woke up on Saturday mornings buzzing like it was really the best feeling ever. Um, so I was a stable at Barry Hills and Robert Armstrong before being assistant to Justin Snaith. So it was a good grounding because even now, starting training here again last year for the first bit, uh, for most of the year last year, I had to do all the jobs I learned when I was a kid. So it stood me in good stead anyway, 20 years later. Yeah, and you rode, you rode, is that right, you rode your winners while you were an assistant trainer? Yeah, so Justin Snaith kindly gave me about 10 rides, three of them won. Um, they were amateur races, three of them won. Um, the first ride he gave me won, and then obviously I got better rides from there. I think three won, there was one or two placed, and my last ride it was a hot summer South African day. I was, I'm quite tall, so I was quite heavy. It was coming third, and I think I put my hands down and ran fourth and got in a lot of trouble, so I just left it at that. Was yeah. there ever any ambition to become a, a proper jockey, you know, a full-time jockey ever? I would love to have, like I said, riding work down the Elba Hatchery was a dream when I was a kid. I would love to have been a jockey, um, but I was just always too heavy. I, I weighed in at 53 and a half kgs, but I, it was a struggle to weigh in at that, yeah. Yeah. So when did the um, opportunity arise to become a trainer in your own right? Well, I was always um, working towards becoming a trainer. So as soon as I could, as soon as I'd done the time, um, I applied for a license and got it. Started with, I think, five horses back then. And luckily, one of the five was Coconut Grove, who won, I think it was nine races in a listed race. And yeah, so that's how it all came apart. It was much easier in South Africa. We had a much bigger network of people we knew, um, which is a challenge here. And you've, um, one thing I read about, you've, you've attained, I think, the unique achievement <laughs> of um, training a winner at every race course in South Africa. Yeah, um, it was a goal I set myself to do once I'd had a few winners at a few race courses. And I, I don't I stand to be corrected, but I think possibly the only trainer who's ever done it, I trained a winner in Durban, we had Scottsville, Clearwood, and Gravel. And then in Johannesburg, at the time, we had Newmarket, Turfentain, um, the Vol racetrack, they had a Vol Sand racetrack. And then they, once a year, they had a Ryan meeting at the actual training track. Like, would it be like having a Newmarket meeting at the Alba Hattery, for example? And then I trained a winner in Kimberley and Cape Town, Durbanville, and Kenilworth. So that, and then in Port Elizabeth, Arlington and uh, Fairview. And those were all the racetracks in South Africa at the time. So I've lost count now, how many is that? There was, well, there was a, probably about 10, I would say. But it was, it was interesting because it, if you think traveling a horse from Durban to Cape Town takes 25 hours. So it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, there was a lot of traveling involved. It's 25 hours there, 25 hours back. Um, it's hot temperatures. Um, 
this is a big challenge, but it was something I set out to do, and it was one of the things, I don't know, a small challenge that I enjoyed doing. Yeah. So is that that's something that you would only really do in the normal course of a training career if you set your, if you set your mind to it? You yeah. would normally send horses that far? And they, they're different tracks. I mean, Kimberley had a sand track, the Vol Race track had a sand track. They're all completely different surfaces and tracks. You had to get the right horses, and you couldn't just travel 25 hours to run third or fourth you had to make sure the horse was going to win so it was it was young arrogance and cockiness I suppose that I'll, I'd think about it twice now having to travel like that but at the time it was I suppose youth. And how long did it take you to achieve it? Uh, I only trained from 2004 to 2009 I think that was that was about it. Did yeah. the um, did the punters latch on what you're up to and uh, you know sort of think this one must be a good thing when you got there? I don't know. Um, one big owner who's passed away now mentioned to me. Um, I went from Durban to Port Elizabeth for two listed race, the two biggest listed fillies races they had, and won them both there um, two years in a row. And he mentioned to me afterwards, he's like, "I cotton on to you, but I didn't go back for a third go." So. We, when we did travel most of the time there, we didn't travel for nothing. <laughs> it's a long way to go and waste someone's money. So the owners were paying for the for the uh, the owners were paying yeah. for, the, for the challenge. And they would come and travel up and come be part of the experience. I mean, when you're going 25 hours or 20 hours somewhere, or even Durban to Johannesburg's eight hours, you would go the day before, go out for dinner, have a few drinks, watch racing hopefully win and then go out for dinner again the next night it was more of a bit of a socializing as well yeah i'm sure you deserved it after all that <laughs> traveling uh, so you won your uh was it grade one with australian uh horse strategic news yeah. in 2007 yeah so strategic news was the first horse we bought in australia um he was another funny story where he um he he got loose during the, the, the run-up to the sales and he cut his leg really badly. He had a big bandage on him, but I was completely in love with him. And he went through the ring and he went, I think, 30 or 35,000 not sold. And the breeder came to me afterwards and said, I know you, you've come to look at this horse 10 times. He said, I tell you what, if you give me 40 grand, you can have it. So I was too happy with that. Took him back to South Africa and he was, he was a lovely horse. Um, he stayed a colt and became a stallion. We took him to Dubai and he won there. He won a grade one in South Africa. Um, he gave us a lot of fun. I think he won five or six races. But he was a good horse. He got really sick after the Summer Cup. and Sick as in he almost died. He was in Equine Hospital for a good two months. And I think if that didn't happen to him, he would have turned out a, a, a much better horse. But unfortunately that happened and hindered him from showing his true potential. Because as he got older, I thought he would get better but he won a grade one, so I can't complain. And that was a great buy from that breeder. Did you ever hear from him again? Very good. I'm still in touch with him. And um, I actually met the All Blacks rugby coach um, through them because they were good friends with um, the All Blacks rugby coach. And I went to New Zealand to the sales and met him. Um, it was very interesting. Lots of banter being a South African and having an All Blacks, yeah. Are you a rugby fan anyway? Yeah. Of course, <laughs> and um, so, but then you were flying, yeah. And you just you handed your license in. So flying, I was flying on the side, um, just as a hobby. Oh, I meant actually, but you were flying as a yard. Oh, uh, yeah. Get onto the flying okay. side in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah. We were fly, we were we were doing well as a yard, um, 
we, we couldn't do any better really. We, I'd, I'd got some nice owners in, we'd, we were doing well. Um, I just wasn't enjoying it. The, the, ni the night of the Summer Cup, the grade one, um, I always said if, if I win my first grade one, we're gonna have the biggest party. And the night of, uh, by 8 p.m. I was in bed totally exhausted, ready for bed and just totally dis disappointed really. I think I, I put so much pressure on myself. Being 28 years old, um, it was just too much. And so I wasn't enjoying it to have a winner and it was just, it was not enjoyable at all. I wasn't even enjoying the horses anymore at the time. Just the pressure was too much I think. Um, I would love that pressure now, being a bit older and more mature, but at the time I wasn't wasn't really enjoying it so um, if I can come on to the next part with the flying I had a lot of friends my age 27 28 years old um, they were flying and having the time of their lives I was I was had a private pilot's license at the time I was flying and hanging out with them a bit and I was under so much pressure and under so much stress and not enjoying it um, so I decided to if I'm that age I think I should um, do what they did and that's when I went flying and yeah it was good I gave up the training continued an airline career and really enjoyed it I had a great time uh, go on to that in the next bit yeah okay right Dylan we, we cut off at the last bit you just talked about giving up a yard that was going really well mm. flying as I was trying to be clever with my turn of phrase <laughs> there um, and then you decided to become an airline pilot. Well, make it say it rolls off the tongue, but you know, but kind of in just that easy. Yeah. No, it wasn't. Um, I had a yard of at the time sixty horses, and it's strange sixty horses with good owners. And I looked around, and I literally could not see where the next winner was coming from. My last runner that I ran was a winner was called Danger Point and I think I was at Danger Point personally I really was he won and I looked around and he he just won I thought he'd win a lot easier and he just got up and won and I thought I don't have much there's 60 horses here but there's not much and so as I said earlier all my friends were flying and having a great time and I said I said I, w I went to my dad and I said I'm giving this up I'm gonna go flying and he said he said, you can't half train horses. You either train horses or you get out of it. So if you're going to get out of it, get out of it now. Don't give them a month's notice. You can't half train horses. So I called all the big clients, told them my plan. They were all supportive. Um, and to be fair, I think one filly won about two weeks later and nothing else won out of the yard for the next year or two or 18 months. So I would have really struggled for the next 18 months. So. So somebody took over the, the yard lock, stock and barrel? Well, no, I, I, the horses went to all other trainers. Right. Some of them went to really good trainers, but they just never, I could, there pretty much wasn't anything there. Um, maybe, I think out of the 60, maybe three or four winners at the most came out of the yard. That would have been a huge stress for me, having had a reasonably successful career as a trainer. Um, and I took up the flying full time. Um, I, I was quite lucky. Um, in that when I do something I, it's balls to the wall kind of thing all in and um, so when I like I when I started training I wanted to be a groom when I started flying I wanted to do everything so I did a bit of aerobatics because everyone said you can't really become 
an airline pilot or a good pilot without doing aerobatics because it teaches you all the principles of flying. So I took up a little bit of aerobatics, just basic aerobatics, nothing serious. And through that, I met two really helpful people, um, a captain in the airline industry in South Africa called Dennis Spence, who was, he was really well known and really well connected. And um, he at the time had a good friend who's sadly passed away now. His name was Colonel Glenn Warden. And they sort of mentored me and took me in. I got into... Uh, through them I got into a freighter airline, flying freight, uh, freight and flying horses at times as well. Um, I was there for about three or four years and then I got into a really big airline um, in South Africa, which was, it was a great job, great airline, and I really enjoyed it. I probably had the best airline job in the world when I think back, but unfortunately COVID came and completely wiped the airline out. So. That was it. Yeah, and COVID's yeah. come along, and that is in a roundabout way you've ended up back here. Yeah, I did a flight from um, Durban to Cape Town on the 24th of March, 2020, in the morning, and by that afternoon it was basically out of work. Um, it bas basically that were paying us what the tea girl got because of COVID, and we just said. Brexit's coming, we had Portuguese passports, we had the chance to come to England. Um, we, so we started the plan, that was in March, we started the plan and we moved here in November 2020. And ended up here not knowing, I didn't really come here to train, but the airline industry wasn't really growing and so I thought I'd give it another go. Okay, and from what I've read, there's an awful lot of educational and red tape and qualification hoops to to climb through to get a trainer's license. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, obviously I first had to get a clearance from the National Horse Racing Authority in South Africa. So that took a week or two, I got that. And then the BHA licensing process, because I had been an airline pilot for about 11 or 12 years and not trained, they wanted me to do the trainer's modules again, um, which was great. I did the trainer's modules at the British Racing School. It was fantastic. Um, gave me three weeks to actually take a back seat and think about everything and really take it and met some fantastic people, made some good friends, some are trainers now, um, some are still going to train. Um, it was brilliant, the courses were brilliant and um, learnt a lot, I mean you make, I, you even make friends with the bank manager there and the other day I needed some advice on buying something called the bank manager which you couldn't do if I didn't go on that course and he sat and met up with me and it was brilliant like those are the little things that it does for you to set you up going forward um, not he didn't and he basically just helped me on an advisory level for free purely because he met me on the course um, and now I actually lecture on that course to new trainers um, about the first year or two of training so um, so now I'm Doing back, I enjoyed it so much. Um, they have me back, and it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Actually. So, how have things moved on in the way you know, in the way you're sort of taught as a trainer, as you compared to when you were a young man when you were here? Um, yeah. So, th th things are pretty much the same. New market hasn't changed much. The training methods are still the same. Um, the the, uh, the only thing that's changed really is the, the I would say, all weather racing's got bigger. In the day, uh, the days I was here for Robin Armstrong, um, I remember Shadwell horses, for example, weren't allowed to run on the all weather. Now, everyone runs on the all weather. So that's that's the biggest change I've noticed. 
but otherwise everything's pretty much the same um, from back then it's still the same same pattern races which is good that's what I think keeps British racing great the, the tradition and why I mean, I mean I know Newmarket is HQ of British yeah. horse racing but yeah. it's also very competitive if you're going to set up as a new trainer so why did you decide on Newmarket um, so we moved to Newmarket without knowing I was going to train purely because we had family here um, we, had, we had family here I knew Newmarket having lived here for a year or two um, and it's the place to be if you want to grow into a fairly decent yard I, I don't have ambitions to have 100 plus horse yard I would love to get to 50 or 60 that would be a, anywhere between 40 and 60 would be a dream number um, where you can keep it hands on so Newmarket was logical, and I found from starting off here, it's so central to everyone. I have owners based all over the country now, and in the syndicates we have over 200 owners already who come and visit, and they're all within, everything's within two hours of Newmarket, really. So it's, it's a great location. Um, the facilities are fantastic. We had that minus 10 weather where races were canceled, all weather racing was cancelled and Newmarket's tracks were all open every single one seven days a week right through that period so you cannot find a better place to train a horse. Okay now you, um, you this is like a real family affair here you said you had family here already yes so what, what members of your family work here? So um, it, it's family affair it's, in the beginning it was just myself and my father um, the two of us started it and we worked hard, but now um, the, it's myself, my father, my brother-in-law's recently joined. He used to be at Simon Crisford. Um, on the weekends, uh, Taryn and the kids come and help. Um, my sister, who's a, she's a lawyer in Bristol or somewhere, she comes in when she can and helps. So there, there's a, a big family element to it now, but we've made a lot of good friends in the UK now, and we've got a really good staff that have recently joined so it's a lot bigger than just a family thing as it was say six months ago and have you brought some sort of what you think might be unique ideas from with you from South Africa mm, not really I, I think you just try and you you can't really change you can't bring South African things here I use my experience just to try and not overdo things and keep the try and do the best for each horse individually but um, I've brought in some methods from my own personal running which I think help at the moment it's, it's, diff it's been difficult to get going because I haven't had the staff to do it but for the first time this year we've actually we've grown to a number and we've got some decent staff and I can actually do what I want to do where last year I was just trying to just keep everything going myself um, now I can stand back and delegate a bit more and I would say this year would be the first year I'm actually training Last year I was trying to do it all myself, this year I'm actually, it's already happening, I'm actually able to train and delegate and take a step back and actually do what I want to do. Yeah. And you've got, um, you also offer a sales consultancy, how does that work? Yeah, so my dad has that all that experience breeding, um, he, he, um, he bought those Group 1 winners and every year he bought me a good horse. I never had one year in South Africa, I never had a good horse, every single, year, every single season he bought me a good horse for no money at all value for money the bottom below the sales average at every sale um, so he basically does the pedigree analysis for the sales we we do a, he does the sales consultancy based on pedigree um, 
if we do horses in training, Jordan Hopkins does the horses in training on form. And then I obviously go with both of them. If it's yearlings, I'll look at the yearlings. If it's horses in training, I'll look at the horse in training, get them vetted. And between us, we, we have John now, my brother-in-law, who's recently joined us as well. He's, he was an experienced jockey trainer. He worked for Simon Crisford. So the four of us go to the sales and we basically be, we do it for free for our clients. But um, I think Jordan does a bit of external work as well. My dad's starting to branch out and do a bit of external work. Um, we, between us, with all our experience, we, I think we've, you'll see this year, I think we've done a good job last year. But we've had no budget whatsoever. We've done it on a really limited budget. And, and for people that want to get involved on limited budget, yeah. you're very keen on syndicates. Yes, we've got 18 horses now and 10 of them are syndicated. Three through Catch Us If You Can Racing and seven through Quest Thoroughbreds. Um, over 200 owners between, already over 200 owners in them. Lots of great young lads, lots of older people. It's really a good mix of people. And yeah, they've been value for money. Well, we'll see this year if they're value for money, but they haven't been expensive, but we haven't bought for the sake of buying. We've really worked hard at the sales and tried to be clever. And I think we've bought well. Yeah. And you say you've got 18 horses here at the moment. Yeah. How many can you take and what's your, what would you like to get in? Well, we can pretty much grow to as much as we can. We, we, there's, we can get more stables if needed. We, our ideal number would be 60, would be the ideal number. You can be competitive, you can have runners regularly. We're only at 18 now, but um, we could have gone to the February sale and bought a whole lot, but we're not. We're trying to build strategically and wisely and trying to get as much quality as we can without a, with a limited budget. Um, so we, yeah, we, 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 we would like to, I would say by the end of the year, we'd like to at least be 40 horses doubled up on what we are now. Okay. So, but that will come with results. No results will mean no horses. <laughs> no, you're a man that likes to set goals for yourself, and we've heard that you'd normally crack them. So if you set a goal for yourself for this season or for the you know for the foreseeable future, our the the immediate goal for this season and um, last season was to get to the end of the season and get ten yearlings. That was the, and we we got to that. Um, this year it would be it would be to try and get a Royal Ascot runner or a big Saturday handicap runner. And just hopefully all the horses run well. And, you know, I'm not trying to be over-ambitious. We're still on a really limited budget, a really small... I mean, our whole yard probably costs less than the average of book two, a whole yard put together. Um, so we've got to be realistic. We've, we've got a limited budget, but we've bought wisely. And our goal would be to have one or two runners at Royal Ascot. That would be huge for us. And just hopefully... The horses run well. We're trying to, we're trying to have a decent summer. We've been very quiet in the winter on purpose to try and have a few runners in the summer. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll watch your interest. Yeah. Thank you now. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, Dylan. A question I didn't like to ask you in the main interview, but um, yeah. are you aware you a gambling yard? So back in South Africa. Um, our yard was um, only a gambling yard. We, it was our focus. Um, when we won the grade one summer cup, we backed them from 100 to one to 12 to one. Um, we, we won a lot of money on him. We had a lot of doubles and trebles into him. Um, I trained for a guy, he's a good friend of mine, Marlon Aronstam, who 
he was involved in the Hansi Kronia cricket match fixing thing and um, he was primarily a gambler and he liked to he didn't mind if the horses ran and won or ran and didn't run well as long as when you told them to back a horse they won so I had a few he had some friends and clients of his that were big gamblers so we were a gambling yard um, it was our focus um, I think that's why I didn't enjoy it so much I was young it was a lot of pressure but when you're young it's exciting training for some serious gamblers um, I wouldn't like to put myself under that much pressure now but I'm, I'm sure when we get the horses and we get everything right to get um, the right horses and the right races I'm sure we'll be known to have a touch again in the future. Yeah, so back, I mean, would you be a form book beaver then or would you employ somebody to, to do the form? Because you've got to be quite good to be able to say this is going to win. Yes, so in South Africa I would, but in, in England, um, um, Jordan Hopkins has joined up with me. He's going to be joining the yard, doing some race planning, and um, he would be the form guru. Um, uh, I wouldn't be too clued up with the form here. I follow all the racing, but like you say, it's a lot more complicated here. There's a lot more racing to follow. I can't keep up with it all. So Jordan will be representing the yard and race planning and um, and obviously form reading and trying to get the best out of every horse for us. And yeah, it's about getting them right, getting them in the right races, um, getting the right jockey on. And then if every horse is different. Um, so you can't back every horse. That's what I learned when I was when I was training in South Africa and we were training for really big gamblers. Is you can't back every horse and you can't back the same horse every time. You've got to get the horse on the day in the right race. Everything has to be right. And yeah, it it does happen. It does come. Um, we just got to hope we get, hope we get one or two decent horses there. The people listening to this who think. You've got really sharp, you had really sharp uh, owners in your yard. Mm. Every time you told them the back one, it would win. Yeah. So, how, you know, the bookmakers a lot more benevolent in South Africa. Um, back in the days when I was training up until 2009, I think the, the guys could go to get a good bet on. I think now in South Africa, it's more corporatized like it is here. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't really had a decent bet in England yet. So. I'm not sure, but um, in South Africa, I would say back in the day, it was they were a lot more brave than what they are now. Yeah. And there's an interesting thing you were telling me about the shoes, which we don't have over here. You, you can change plates. Yes. So in South Africa, they um, in the form they print what shoes the horses are wearing. So you would often see this: a horse would run two runs in steel shoes, and then they would put aluminium shoes on, which are much lighter, and back the horse, and it would win. And that was called the gin strike. And a gin strike was very popular. The owner I trained for, Marlon Aronstam, loved the gin strike. And he would literally go to racing and look at all the horses' shoes in the parade ring. And he would not back a horse if he didn't have new shoes on. So it was one of those things. I don't know, I don't know if it worked or not. But when, when his horses I had were running and they, they weren't really, really ready to win, they would run in steel shoes. And when they were ready to win, they would run in Alamites. And... If he was having a bet on them, would they run in brand new helmets? <laughs> did, um, did horses ever win in steel shoes? Um, I never had a horse win in steel shoes, no. <laughs> so it's a brilliant sure tool for do. punters, then, yeah. really. You could eliminate half the field. Yeah, it would. I don't know if they run in steel shoes in England. I haven't really seen it. Um, but in if South Africa, do, it's a big, <laughs> it's a big part of the form book, and it's 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 a big part of South African racing. So I'm quite surprised it's not a big thing here. Yeah.
Okay, if you got just finally talking about gambling, have you have you got your eye on the Wokingham or any, you know something like that to we, land a massive touch? We we had a run in the Cesarovich, which was huge for us in our first year with only three or four horses. Um, he was in front till a furlong to go. He actually went to the front, which was unplanned, and he got badly bumped um, by Apprentice with a furlong to go, and he ended up obviously got taken out. And he's been injured since then. He's on a farm resting. So we had a big handicap runner. But we have got one or two we are looking at hopefully getting to big Saturday handicaps here. But like I said, it's a handful of horses on a limited budget. It's, we're not getting ahead of ourselves. We just will see how it goes this season. Um, maybe next season we don't. We'll just, we, we're playing it very carefully at this stage. And we can assume that the audience we've had behind us are the dark ones. <laughs> so we'll be look, looking out for movements in the market. Yes. Really. So, um, brilliant. So brilliant. Thanks, thanks for elaborating on that for us. And uh, thanks very much. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks.